Well, it's good to, good to be with you all this Sunday. Uh, for those of you that are visiting, I met some new friends this morning. Uh, we are, we're right at the front end of a new sermon series. Uh, it's called Dear Church. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it, we, here's here's kind of how we roll at our church. We just usually preach consecutively, verse by verse, book by, uh, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. And so uh, I've chosen... Uh, um, 1 Corinthians as our section. We're going we're to be spending a good bit of time in Corinthians. So if you have your Bible, you're welcome to open that up to 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll have, we'll have the words projected for you. Uh, we do have, I believe, maybe we have some of those journal Bibles left. I'm not sure. I didn't check. No, those sold out. Awesome. Well, maybe we'll get a few more of those for you if those are getting put to use. Um, but it is, it is primarily our balanced diet here at Mosaic Church just to just to preach through God's word and to hear what he has to say for us. I don't think I'm smart or witty enough to figure out what it is you need to hear. So we just, we preach through the Bible here. So that's what we're doing this morning. We are, we're still in chapter one of 1 Corinthians. Uh, before I read the passage, let's set the tone. Uh, your, uh, your email inbox, okay? When you open your email inbox, I know we all open those things, I don't know, hundreds of times a day, studies are out, I don't know, it's, it's obsessive, but, but um, the, the subject e- line of emails, right, it's, it's, it's eye-catching, right? So, you know, if, it, if it's your standard kind of spam newsletter that you signed up at some point in your life, um, you know, you kind of just brush over, but, but those, those, those subject lines that catch your, catch your eye, uh, you know, maybe one that comes from your from your boss that says we need to talk. You, that one you're gonna you're gonna open that one. Um, you know, or, or maybe the one that comes from from your supervisor about your project. You know, like like something that's just gonna kind of grab you, and and you know maybe it's even gut wrenching, kind of soul shaking kind of stuff that's going on. Um, today's passage um, for those of you that were not with us this week. A, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing a, a, a letter, modern-day email, uh, a letter to a local church much like ours um, to, to some, some naughty Christians, um, some, some, some Christians that are they're getting some, some, really, some things mixed up about what the Christian life is all about. And, um, you know, if you were writing this letter, if I were writing this letter, um, I think I would begin kind of hot and heavy, right? Like, like maybe with the subject line that... that kind of grabs their attention. And Paul does that in some of his other letters. Don't get me wrong. Like when you read Galatians, Paul jumps right into the meat of the problems. But, but he doesn't do that here. Like Paul, as the original founding pastor and the apostle of all apostles, has every right, stealing Rick's language, to rip into the Corinthian Christians. He could have just gone at them. But he doesn't do that. Listen to the word of God this morning as I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, going down through verse 9. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord this morning. Paul writes, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, 
by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but this is the word of our God and it will stand forever. Let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Father, it's my prayer that um, the meditations of our hearts that are gathered in this room this morning, or maybe even listening online, that those hearts would be pleasing in your sight, Lord, and that the words of this man's mouth would be pleasing to you, Lord. You are our rock, you are our redeemer, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Some of you have heard of um, Zappos, uh, online retailer, uh, kind of really specializes in shoes from my experience. Um, Zappos, uh, for those of you that are not familiar and don't get the frequent UPS uh, delivery from Zappos, uh, for those of you that don't, aren't familiar with that company, they have a rich reputation for the culture of their company. Um, I was reading a little bit more about Zappos and kind of how this has developed over the years. Uh, a number of ways in which they've really tried to kind of to bleed some of their core values of their company into their culture. One of the ways is, is in their cafeteria, right? It's called the Z Cafe because it's trendy and modern. In, in their cafeteria, the Z Cafe, right in the middle of it is the management for their IT. So like, you know, the, the nerd, I know we've got some IT guys here and guys, we, we'll hug after service, but like the IT guys that you would normally probably tuck into the basement or in a dark closet, you know, maybe some of those socially inept guys. I don't know. I love, I love IT guys. I really do. But like they put those guys right in the middle, right in the heart of the Z Cafe in an attempt to kind of bleed some of this culture for otherness together and kind of just just kind of expand the warm hug of their culture together. In, in Thanksgiving of 2014, Zappos opened their doors. Um, they're based in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, they opened their doors uh, to feed hungry people. Uh, they gave away shoes and socks to any in need. Uh, and and their, 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 their company, their people, were the ones that were kind of doing the work. And, and this was to kind of integrate, um, you know, some of this deep culture that they want in, in their in their company. One, one other example, um, the customer loyalty team, as it's called with Zappos, is, is the ones that take the phone calls. And if you've ever had a shoe issue with Zappos, you'll know that their customer service is just top-notch. And so uh, if you're in that department, or I'm sorry, if you're outside of that department, even if this is not your specialty, the IT guides even, everyone is required for 10 hours a year at minimum to work on the customer loyalty team in an attempt for them to both show value for that role that many people are fielding the customer's complaints and also just to, again, embed this, this culture in their company. In 2015, Zappos, uh, they trademarked this term, but they created this, this thing that they call holacracy. Holacracy is a, dis a distributed authority system. It's, so instead of a, like a top-down type of structure in their, in their system or, or even a bottom-to-top uh, bottom kind of structure, this sets the rules of the games and it, the way they languaged it is it bakes empowerment into the core of the organization. So holacracy is this attempt to level the playing field on, on some levels and to just put at the center of it and empower the people that are 
doing the day-in, day-out work of this company. They want to empower them. Um, what Zappos understands and, and what you and I ought to understand is that we as people are byproducts and results of the environments in which we live and breathe. We, we are creatures of the cultures in which we inhabit. And, and one of those cultures um, that, that you, by nature of being here at least this morning, are a part of is the local church. Churches have cultures. Um, here at our church, uh, we don't have it all figured out. Uh, we don't, uh, as you can tell. You know, we, we forget songs, stands break, these kinds of things. But here at our church, we have been um, rigorous and intentional about setting and establishing a particular culture in our church. And, and I would describe our culture as this, a radically Jesus-centered and grace-oriented culture. Uh, we sometimes talk about, uh, we, we'll use taglines all the time here, not just because they're catchy, but because we want to bleed into our people culture that we value. One of those is we, we say you belong here. Uh, and by that, we mean everyone can belong here. And so what happens, um, and Zappos, you know, jury's still out on whether holacracy works. In fact, I was, I was kind of sifting through some more recent articles, and there's, there's been some, some kind of bumps in the road, if you will, with this whole holacracy system. So they're, they're still working it out. But what happens when the culture is compromised is people are hurt, um, especially when you've come to trust that culture. Uh, so, so there, I make every assumption that there are people here this morning, uh, or maybe they're not with us, but they're in our church, um, who have what I call church wounds. You've been hurt by a church culture, right? So, so you know, whether that's a fresh wound um, or whether that's kind of a, a, a scarred over wound, largely what, from my assessment of, of talking to people, church wounds come because cultures are not what they ought to be. So let me just throw some, put a little bit of flesh on this for us. Um, so, you know, we're talking about our community circles here. Uh, we'll talk about them at the end of the service. But, but you go in and you're kind of, you're, you're a, a, a new-ish Christian and you have the audacity to go into someone's home for a Bible study dinner type of thing. And when the culture is not the culture of a Sunday morning that you're embracing and it becomes this, this kind of theological gauntlet between people and you find yourself in the middle of this, and you find yourself being maybe condescending, condescendingly approached because of your lack of knowledge or understanding of what's going on, what happens? Well, you're wounded. And you're probably not going to go back, let's be honest. Or, or maybe, maybe someone comes in on a Sunday morning and uh, they, don't, they don't act like you, they don't talk like you. Um, you, you. Maybe you banter with them at the coffee table and you find out they're, they're just not like you at all. Uh, maybe they're in a different social class. Maybe they, live in, maybe they live in the valley, South Valley, Rio Rancho. I don't know. Whatever it is, you find out they're different from you and things change. It becomes a barrier. So, so all of these things 
um, is baked into the culture of a church. And what Paul is doing here, and what I want us to see this morning, is he's showing us that the best way for people to grow as a Christian is to plunge yourself deep into a culture of grace, okay? So if you're interested at, on any level, you know, maybe you're new to Christianity, you're kind of exploring this, maybe it's just, it's old hat, like you've been around it forever, longer than I've been alive. Um, wherever you're at, if you have any interest in growing in your faith and understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, the best way to do that is to be in a culture that is lined with grace. So um, I, I kind of had a few approaches to this. I, I landed here. Paul's little section here, I couldn't get away from it. it. It really deals almost with this spatial and chronological dimension of grace. Um, so if you look at verse four, this is, this is the subject uh, uh, line of the email, if you will. I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God. So, you know, running subject, the grace but the way the, the passage unfolds is kind of chronological. So we're going to look at it in these three ways. We're going to look at the past grace, the present grace, the future grace. Okay, so kind of, kind of this linear approach to grace. Let's talk first about past grace. Um, again, you know, I, you know, I don't want to be master of all obvious things, um, but, but Paul here is talking about the grace that was extended to these Christians when they became a Christian. We would call that salvation, okay? So he's unpacking this reality that the Christian has been given a new life by grace. Now, again, I'm gonna be most brief about this, but let's just, let's be clear up front about what Paul's talking about. Let's kind of unpack some of that. And so, I mean, what he's talking about is, is really Christianity 101. This is ABCs, this understanding that, because of what Jesus has done by bearing our sin as a substitute. So, so Jesus, he comes to earth as the person you never could be. Um, he comes and he takes in his own life all of your rebellion. And, and rebellion, from what the scriptures teach us, merits guilt and judgment and condemnation we would call this rebellion our sinfulness and Jesus comes and he alleviates us like from all of it. Um, we, we, you know, it's, it's, it's the inner lining of every song we sing, this, this work that Jesus has done for us. And kind of the second component of, of the gospel, the grace of salvation is that there's no human merit involved in it at all. Now, you know, if you were here last week, you'll know the Corinthians had nothing good in themselves. Like Jesus didn't come for good people. He, he actually came for, for really, really bad people. And so just, hey, reminder, uh, believer, if you're here believing today, you're not in yourself good. You didn't merit anything. You weren't smarter than somebody. You didn't figure things out. Uh, because you, you're kind of in tune with things. Uh, there's nothing you brought to this table except for your badness. And Paul reminds them, I'm thankful that God's grace gave that to you. Utterly undeserved, unmerited. And then the third implication of, of that good news, that kind of grace, 
is that there's now no human obligation that can ever pay that back. Now, if you're, if you're like me, when you hear good news about a, a, a full alleviation of your guilt that you offered nothing to the table to, here's what your response is. Well, I'm indebted to God. God has done that for me. Now what can I do for God? And the biblical gospel makes it very clear. You are utterly indebted to God, but you will never pay him back, ever. And so kind of these realities of a whole salvation, completely given free by grace, under which we are under no obligation to fulfill or pay back to God, is encapsulated this, what we understand to be the grace that Paul here is thanking that God gave to the Corinthian church. Verse six, this was confirmed among them. Now remember, Paul's talking to some really naughty Christians. He's talking to people who don't have it all figured out. Practically speaking, theologically speaking, they do not have it all together, but he talks about them like this because the grace that was extended to them was completely free in the past. But, but moving forward, he, secondly, he talks about the present grace, like how God is at work currently in their circumstances. Now, listen, um, this church, I mean, it's a fragile church. It's probably a, a couple years old at best. And so, you know, they're still figuring out how to do their Sundays together, much like we are. Um, and it's very fragile and, and kind of the invasive thing that has crept into their life of their church is some, some immorality, um, some sinfulness, um, some, some inner heart issues. And, and Paul tells them in the middle of this turmoil, remember, this is the founding pastor emailing them, telling them, I've heard about what you're up to. And he tells them, I'm so thankful at how God has enriched you, verse five in all speech and knowledge. Now, if you're new to the, the Bible, if you don't traffic in the Bible that much, uh, you need to know this about this section, that God has uniquely given what we Christians call, and the Bible teaches, what, what are called spiritual gifts. Now, I know that sounds extremely pious and highly religious, but here's the deal. A spiritual gift, according to the New Testament, is a unique thing that God gives only to believers in order to make the church a better place, okay? So there's a whole, there's a whole grocery list of them. Later on in Corinthians, there's one in, in um, Romans, but there's kind of this, this smattering of different gifts that potentially believers have. Paul here picks two of those off the grocery list, speech and knowledge. Now, we're going we're gonna to kind of go deeper into those in coming weeks because here's what, what's assumed. The Corinthians, two things. They excelled in these gifts. In other words, they, they, they were good at them, but they also became sour in some ways. They misused their gifts. And we'll, we'll kind of unpack that in, in coming weeks. But, but up front, I mean, the, the words Paul uses here, I mean, these are, these are dynamite words in the Bible. Like, like it... it to you and I, speech, knowledge sounds like talking and thinking, but it's more than that. It's logos and it's gnosis, okay? So logos is the telling of truth. 
Okay, so, so Paul's saying, you were enriched in telling truth. Okay, so doctrine, thinking, Bible, those kinds of things. They're, they're enriched in that. But secondly, you're enriched in knowledge. And knowledge isn't just information. See, that, that word, in the context of which we're reading this, this letter was originally written, would have had a whole background of this, this false way of thinking. They were called Gnostics. And what Gnostics did was they thought they had some special insight and revelation that outsiders could not have access to. You see, Gnostics really elevated the spiritual intellectual life and they, and they really downplayed the physical embodied earthly life. And what Paul's saying is you excelled in these things, but you've made them sour. And again, those will come in, in later weeks. So even though the gifts have gone bad in some ways, Paul still applauds them that they have the gifts. So, so here's Paul writing to this group of Christians who are in turmoil. I mean, the church is fractured. Um, it's divided. Um, it's riddled with gossip, backbiting. Like they're, they're struggling. And Paul says to them, verse seven, you're not lacking in any gift. You're not lacking anything, church. Now, that could mean two things. Option one would be that you have every possible gift imaginable and accessible to you. That's option one, okay? The other, the other option is that he's saying, of all the gifts that you do have, you're sufficiently gifted in them. In other words, it's kind of this comparison thing. Like, Corinthians, don't look at the church at Galatia. You have what you need sufficiently. So, in fact, commentators in my readings of this are kind of split on what Paul means. And, and I'm going to take the, the easy way out. I'm going to say he means both. Because I think grammatically the way the text reads is you have every possible gift and it's sufficient enough for you. What I think of, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning the church at Corinth. And I, you know, we saw this movie this week and so I couldn't get away from it. I'm picturing Ocean's Eleven. You know, if you've seen the Ocean's movies, you know, every plot line's the same. We saw the most recent one this week. Every plot line's the same, right? A a, a band of criminals is being put together to pull off the greatest heist ever to that date. And every single unique individual brings something to the table that's necessary to pull it off, right? Right? So, so Paul here in, in many ways is saying, church, you have all the players you need to complete the mission you've been given. So, I mean, what does that look like for, I mean, I mean, church, like we're, we're a little fragile thing too, mosaic. Um, and we're, you know, we don't have it all together and we don't pretend that we do. And, um, but what I think Paul's saying and, and just because he's saying it of the church at Corinth, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily translate to everything that's true about the Corinthians is true about us. But I, but I think the principle is this, God in you has given us what we need. I, I, mean, I mean, let's just call it like it is. We don't hear that at church all the time. I mean, what, what we hear is... Um, you maybe, maybe give more money so we can hire people who will do what we need. I mean, maybe that's how it is. Uh, and I'm not against giving and I'm not against hiring people. But what, but, but what I am saying 
is that God, in building and designing his church, even in our midst, has given us what we need. And the question that you ought to be asking yourself is, who am I in that? Like, like what piece of that, um, of that mission am I? So he says, Paul says, this is the present grace that you have been given. You have all you need in your body. But thirdly, and, and maybe even, you know, most importantly, I think the highlight of this passage is, is, is the future grace. Um, the future grace kind of in the closing two verses. Uh, do, you, do you remember Back to the Future? I mean, if you don't remember it, you know, I don't, we can't be friends. Um, <laughs> back to the Future, uh, you know, it's got, it's got some kind of some theological linings in it. Um, do you remember Biff? Uh, Biff was the guy who went to the future and he got a hold of the sports almanac, okay? Uh, the sports almanac, obviously, if you get a sports almanac from 20 to 30 years in the future, you're, you're sitting pretty when you come back, right? So, so Biff, he gets a hold of the sports almanac and he comes back into the present day and it's how, he builds, it's how he builds his fortune. He's a gambling man. I mean, he knows all the winners. He knows how it, how it ends. He knows all of the consequences. Now, now you know, the analogy uh, with Back to the Future breaks down quickly because what they're doing in the present changing the future. Like, I'm not on board with that. So that's, that's what we would call open theism. Not interested in that. Um, but but let's, just, let's just hold on to the concept of having a sports almanac from the future in your current day. Um, it, it would change your present realities significantly. I mean, certainly financially, but you would, you would have insight into something in the future that would certainly affect your current day scenario. Um, Paul here is connecting for us uh, the current problems of life, and he's couching it in the context of eternity. He, he's, he's really saying, you have, um, you have the sports almanac, okay? We know things to be true about your future circumstances that will affect you now. Um, now, I'm gonna mention this here and unpack it just briefly, but one of the um, underlying problems with this church was what some scholars have identified as over-realized eschatology, yeah, write that one down. That's what I went to school for. Over-realized eschatology. Here's, here's what that means, okay? Over-realized eschatology is thinking that you have more of the future blessings that are promised to you now than you actually do. So the Corinthians church might have been thinking towards the end days, the coming of our Lord Jesus, we'll unpack that in a moment, but they're, they're thinking about those things and they're thinking that those are realities that they ought to be experiencing now. And here's what that sounds like in our context. You shouldn't be suffering because Jesus has paid it all and, and the end is determined. And so you, you have to firmly and just, just pull yourself up and have greater faith that that is a reality for you now. That would be an example of over-realized eschatology. But in opposition to over-realized eschatology, and I think this might be our problem, Mosaic, I'm just saying, might be an under-realized eschatology. And that is, I would say, thinking that you have less of the future blessings now than you actually do. 
That would be undermining the sports almanac that God has given us. And he pulls it out here. Paul says this, end of verse seven, you're waiting for something. Here's what you're waiting for. The revealing of our Lord Jesus. It's, it's another word for gnosis. It's to know this Jesus fully. This is what the future reality holds for the believer, is to know Jesus fully and wholly. And this is what we are waiting for currently. Um, the main kind of theme, I would say, of this entire letter, if I, if I could just kind of nutshell statement it, Here's what Paul's after. Become more like Jesus now. Uh, you know, the sharp pastoral tone's gonna come out. He's gonna say, you're not living like you ought to be living. And, and here's the thing. The Bible and Paul, he just does it up front. The Bible, if, if Paul is after us becoming more like Jesus, if he were rash like me and harsh like me, he would do the, I, I would do this. Be better. Try harder. You can do this, right? It's kind of, a, it's pep rally Christianity. It's, it's a list of the top fives, how to make your marriage better. It's what we would call moralism. It's about what you do. But Paul, in an attempt to make this church more like Jesus, here's what he perpetually and continually does. He puts good news in front of our eyes to behold. That's how the Bible works, friends. If, if you have any interest in a changed life, if you want to grow more in your godliness and becoming like this one, Here's what you have to do is you have to behold the good news. And what is the good news about the future specifically that Paul compels us with here? Verse eight, he will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord. Those are legal terms. They don't mean much to us, but on paper, what Paul is saying is the legal documents on your behalf have already been drafted, submitted, and accepted by God. And how do you know that? Because Jesus is alive. Um, I frequently think of ways in which I can maybe, you know, not trying to be gimmicky or fresh, but ways in which we can think about um, how this kind of legal guarantee can change us now. And, and here's the deal. Here, here's what I've come up with for this week. Jesus Christ, for, for anyone who would believe in his work, anyone, he's writing to an extremely morally questionable people. Listen, They've done some strange things. We're gonna hear about them in coming weeks. But for anyone who would trust in this one, he has handed the resume to you and said, my work is yours. And so the believer in Jesus gets credit for every single action that he has done on your account. 
And so when God in heaven, the judge of the earth, the one who will come and make all wrongs right, the one who will bring justice and righteousness to rule over this land by bringing a kingdom here, when he looks at your account, not ours as a church, I'm talking about your account, he will see one of two things. He will either see your own resume in which you present your works before him, or he will see the resume of his own son. The one who pursued the strangers, fed the naked and homeless, the one, who, the one who lavished grace upon the least deserving people, tax collectors, prostitutes, all of those works are credited to the believer's account by faith alone. And that is what Paul wants us to remember is the three dimensions of grace that has worked in the past, the present, and will work in your future. Church of Jesus, if Zappos is working, their statement, I don't think I mentioned this at the beginning, but here is their company motto. They want to deliver wow. That's, that's it. Deliver wow. Church of Jesus, Paul in these opening verses has mentioned Jesus nine times in nine verses now that is an explicit call for us to be wowed by that one. Oh, that that would bake into the core of our culture here on Sundays, Wednesday in your homes, in your workplace, at the sports field. We are the ones who've been wowed by this news. Oh, that it would captivate us today. Let's pray and ask him to help us in that. Father in heaven, I, I know I'll be the first, first this morning to admit that I am so frequently unimpressed by the gospel. Lord, I, I often want to move just into the logistics of my faith, um, doing more, saying more, um, but Lord, I, I'm just continually reminded how you just want us to be delightfully wowed by the good news of your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that, that our church would, would be that, um, that we would not grow tired of hearing the good news about your son, that it would, just, it would bake into our core and into our culture so that when we meet for coffee or when we have dinner together in our homes, when we serve our community, when we parent our children, when we fight with our spouses, that all of that would be just lined with this delight in the good news about your son, Lord. Help us to be a people who believe it. We believe, Lord. Now help our unbelief. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.